previously on Roll for Romance. After an evening of debauchery at the royal wedding reception, our amorous adventurers awaken to find an imitation from Lady Jalessa, asking them to join her at Lotharial Island for a romantic getaway. The invites encourage them to come with open hearts and their sexiest beachwear. Needing a wardrobe refresh, Hilrana invites her new friends to a day of shopping in the upper terrace. It took me a while to get ready. My dad means well, but he kept pestering me about details of the royal wedding. I woke up late and had to rush out the door to get to the market in time to meet the others. I had to cut my beauty routine down from an hour to just a few minutes. I hope I look presentable. A fantastic day of shopping commences, with nary a rack untouched at the Naughty Nymph, Never Nude, and the Clothes Horse, all thanks to the generosity of Miles and Hrana, who cover the group's expenditures. Never Nude? They should call it Never Shop. First, the sales assistant spilled wine on me, then claimed he couldn't get pants over my incredibly large calf muzzles. I guess that's what I get for shopping off the rack. Oh, it's partially my fault, sugar. The clothes I picked out for you were a bit... Uh... Tight, but you can't blame a girl for trying, though. Shopping complete, the group heads to the airship docks. After a brief run-in between Chadley and the airship customs agent, they board Lady Jalessa's private airship. As it turns out, they aren't the only guests Jalessa invited on the trip. As the airship sets sail, they get to know their new traveling companions. Melee's hits it off with Falloden Frostmane, a dark-skinned muscular dwarf with white hair and beard. Miles is hashtag fitness goals to this beefy dwarven bro. Paris and Hilrana vie for the attention of Mitzi St. Clair, a short and zoftig human woman with bouncing red curls and a bubbly personality to match. Mitzi told us she met Jalessa at the most renowned house of pleasure in Mirador, the house of heavenly delights. But honey, I'll bet anywhere Darla Mitzi goes is the house of heavenly delights. Miles also meets a sparkling crystal dragonborn named Kel, bonding with them over their shared penchant for loincloths. Is there any better thing to wear? Maximum mobility and maximum style. Lord Steve and Lord Stefan are also in attendance as guests, both of whom our adventurers had previously met and gone streaking with at the royal wedding. Arriving dead last, almost too late to board, is Ingrid Fernmaw, a half-orc, half-elf priestess of Amel, the goddess of love. While most of our party is content to chat up these sexy new NPCs, Lanaver is suspicious of Jalessa's motives. When pressed, Lady Jalessa confesses that she planned this island getaway to try and find someone to settle down with. The wedding made her feel that maybe it was time to look for her own love. I feel like there's still something she's leaving out, but I didn't want to be rude. After all, she is taking me on a free vacation. While passing through a rough storm, a strike of lightning pierces a hole in the airship's arcane shield, but the crew rapidly repairs the damage and reseals it. However, unbeknownst to the crew, two air elementals have been sucked in through the hole and were now trapped on the deck. Raging at their apparent captivity, the air elementals mercilessly attack the crew. While Miles and Hilrana try to hold the air elementals at bay, Ferris and Lanny focus on reopening the hole <laughs> in the arcane shield. The situation is dire, and with several crewmen down, one of the air elementals focuses their attention on Lanny, attacking them with deadly force. Miles leaps to Lanaver's aid, shielding them from a blow that would have killed them instantly. In the aftermath, Multiple deckhands lie dead, and a shaken Lady Jalessa vows that she will find a way to revive the fallen servants once they arrive at the island. Although the storm subsides, 
A dark cloud of despair follows the guests and crew until they finally dock at Lotharial Island. Lady Jalessa shepherds her guests to the main house for drinks, where they meet her brother Marius, a tall and leanly muscled triton. I asked Marius if he wanted to come to my room and help me unwind. After that terrible trip, such a shame he declined. As guests excuse themselves to get some much-needed rest, Neely's and Lanny discuss near-death experiences. Yes, it was Lanny's first time. Almost dying, that is. You never forget your first. The next morning greets them with sunshine and warm ocean air, helping to lift the mood. Romantic activities commence as everyone gathers poolside for a round of speed dating. On their speed date, Lanny learns that the chill Kel believes that everything is up to chance, and no matter what you do, you can't determine your fate. After our speed date was over, Kel roped me into a game of beach volleyball. Even though I'm terrible at sports, really just embarrassingly awful. Mitzi hits it off with Hilrana as they connect over a love of risky and adventurous activities. We decided to ditch the rest of speed dating and take an exhilarating ride on an ATV, an all-terrain varmint, that is. Ferris has an unexpectedly hot conversation with the otherwise tepid Lord Steve, leading to a makeout session. Steve wasn't the best kisser I've ever encountered, but with lots of practice, I know he can get there, and I do love to practice. Thaladin fawns over Miles' physique and begs for details on his fitness regimen. After going into detail about his workout and dietary routines, the pair head down to the beach to join the game of beach volleyball. I promised to give him some one-on-one coaching to help with his gains, which seemed to excite him. After an afternoon of beach volleyball, all-terrain varmint accidents and highly homoerotic workouts, what do you do next? Why, party, of course! Helrana, Jalessa, and Mitzi forage for plants to make a special party drink. But in the process, Jalessa and Mitzi get pricked by a strange flower's thorn and hallucinate some spicy action with a sexy spirit. Lanover gets to know Jalessa's brother Marius, swapping songs and solemn stories. Ferris attempts to learn more about Ingrid with a fake fortune-telling, but the savvy half-orc sees right through the deception. Eventually, everyone converges at the evening party and partakes in some of the hard-earned special party drink. That special party drink is highly intoxicating and dangerous. There's no way I'm having any of it. Well, everyone except Hilvrana. Emboldened by the libations, the group swims into a hidden cave that Marius has found. The cave walls are covered in strange, swirling runes of unknown origin. It's the perfect atmosphere to uncover some juicy secrets. Um, I mean, tell fortunes. Using her very real and totally not at all fake divinatory skills, Ferris attempts to scry the future for her companions. She learns that Jalessa is being forced by her parents to make an important decision. With surprisingly serious questions from Lanover, who asks if they'll ever see their daughter again, and Miles, who wonders if his goddess has abandoned him, Ferris calls on a real power for aid, her warlock patron Alphonse. He feeds her answers that would only serve to hurt her friends, so she shapes her words to soften the blow. When Chadley comes forward to get his fortune, dust begins to swirl in the cave, coalescing into spectral creatures. The spirits speak with urgency in an archaic version of Celestial. I could only make out a few of the words, something about needing us to come? I told them they are moving too fast for me. Is it so wrong to want to be wined and dined first? That sure did make them angry. 
The spirits rush forward in frustration and attempt to possess the group, succeeding with Lanover and Ferris. Melis and Hilrana are able to resist, and those spirits instead possess Chadley and Ingrid. The ancient spirits compel the party to seek out a temple on the island. Then the party sets out immediately to find it. Oh, that does make more sense. Each spirit bestows a special ability on the one they possess, as well as the personality quirks that spirit had in life. Ingrid has the bad fortune of being inhabited by a lustful Lothario, and has a hard time keeping her hands to herself. The spirits guide the party through the jungle to a stone fountain that hides a secret entrance into a buried temple of Lear. Eager to rid themselves of the possession, the group delves into this long-forgotten place of worship and finds themselves faced with trials and puzzles that they must navigate to try to get to the core of the temple. Chadley was very insistent that one of the puzzles needed to be solved by sitting in a stone brazier, and I was the only one who would humor him, but it ended up working. In order to pass through one of the trials, Hilrana and Miles must willingly invite spirits into them, and they do so, though reluctantly. Eventually they find themselves around a large magic circle which activates as they each hold a talisman once possessed by the spirits inside them. The room illuminates in blazing divine light and everyone save Thaladin. The only one not holding a talisman is pulled into strange visions. I saw a ballroom filled with mass revelers, while I was drawn to a mysterious horn band with whom I felt a strange connection. As we danced, he asked me, what is your deepest desire? I confessed that I desired my freedom and personal power above all else. This man told me he would give me what I wanted and brought me to a dark room. Inside there was an elven woman chained and tortured, her eyesight gets empty and bloody. I knew her. He made me look at her and told me that this is what I had asked for, and she was the first of many who would fall to the power of my will. I found myself in a familiar forest glade, daydreaming about stolen kisses with the man I loved, but I couldn't recall his face. Heading back to my commune before the sun set, I encountered an injured fawn. Speaking with it, I learned that hunters had left it to die. I healed the fawn and followed the hunter's tracks to a cave deep in the woods. Blinded by anger, I didn't notice that one of the hunters had snuck up behind me. He attacked me and dragged me into the cave. The light of the fire illuminating the cave went out, and an unnatural darkness filled the space. I heard the surprised cries and the scuffle of fighting, then the man holding me let go and crumpled to the ground. When the darkness dissipated, all the hunters lay dead. A part of me knew what saved me, but the vision faded before I could truly remember. I was walking alone through snowy city streets when I felt a blade tip press against my back. An ambush! When my attacker spoke, I recognized their voice, but I couldn't quite place it. We fought, and in the heat of combat, I felt a surge of excitement at being around this mysterious figure again. They ripped away the bone key I keep around my neck and fled. All I could think about was how I wanted to see them again. My vision started in the heat of combat against a shadowy horde. I was greatly outnumbered, but just as things seemed at their most dire, a radiant divine light burst forth from me, destroying them all. As the light faded, I found myself before a cozy cottage in Alephi, my hometown. Three women resided there, and they called themselves my wives. One of them was pregnant, and I recognized her as someone important from my past. All too soon, the vision faded, and I was left without the warmth of their love. These visions seem to last for only a brief time, but in reality, a day passes before our adventurers awaken. 
In the meantime, Thaladin manages to transport them back to the main house, bringing with him a number of strange objects that had appeared next to each party member after the divine light had faded. Ingrid shares that she also had a vision, though hers was of a fiery goddess begging for vengeance against the treachery of other gods. As they contemplate their visions, they each notice that they now have an odd symbol etched on their chest, a mark of the goddess Lear permanently written on their skin. It is definitely not the chest tattoo I would have picked for myself, but enough about those marks. I want to talk about the items Thaladin gave us. I identified each of the items that appeared beside us during our visions. For Ferris, the ropes of the Archmage Shibari, which can magically bind and compel people. For Hilrana, the hardwood wand, which allows her to cast some powerful druidic spells. For Miles, the vainglorious shield, which shines like a mirror and can stun his opponents, though its reflection can also be turned against him if he's not careful. And for me, the Siren Song, an elegant enchanted rapier housing the spirit of Don Carlos, the Orca de la Gato, a pirate trapped inside by a vengeful siren. While he is a powerful weapon and a delightful new companion, I'm not so fond of his curse that draws other pirates like a beacon whenever he's on a ship. Oh, I'm sure that won't cause any trouble in the future. While recovering, Jalessa shares her reason for invoking the challenge of Lear during the royal wedding. She wanted to find a way to protect Princess Celeste and Prince Sono from what had occurred the night before their wedding, a faux kidnapping of the royal pair, which turned very real and very dangerous. Royalty are not supposed to see each other before the wedding, and because they had, the marriage of Celeste and Grant could be ruined if its validity were called into question. Thankfully, a priestess of Emel counseled Jalessa, suggesting that a challenge of Lear would be a simple way to follow Claudian customs while not actually requiring any action on the part of the couple, since the goddess was dead. With the marks of Lear newly carved on their chests, and the strange occurrences after Jalessa's challenge was invoked, our adventurers decide to cut their tropical vacation short and return to Mirador to seek out this priestess of Amel for answers. During a final night on Lotharial Island, Lanaver gets to know Don Carlos better. Miles and Thaladin have a recuperative spa night. Hilrana seeks comfort and advice from her dad, Greg, and Ferris decides to seize her last chance for a sexy island romp, seducing an eager and enthusiastic Mitzi. Mmm, yes, darling Mitzi certainly helped me take my mind off all the strange things that happened. And that's where we find our amorous adventurers at the start of episode 10. 